The Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moes. One minute after the hour of six o'clock and with that beautiful sound, uh, I'm going to shout introduced us in on questions and answers. That was Antarahmani, mashallah. The sixth day of Muharram, 1438, the beginning of uh, a new Islamic calendar. Alhamdulillah. Shukriya Allah. And of course, uh, uh, corresponding on the Gregorian side on the 8th of October, 2016. I'm Hawa Salman back in the seat today and this time bringing you questions and answers live in studio with none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moussa. Sheikh is the, the resident Imam at the, at the Yusufiya Masjid out in Weinberg. So shukran so much to everybody who, who has sent through their SMS questions, faxed, email, and a big shukran to Serena for compiling it. Alhamdulillah, we're back in studio. So let's welcome Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, Sister Hawa, and to all the listeners of the Voice of the Cape. And welcome back, Sheikh. I, I believe Sheikh has been also out of the country for a little bit. How was the trip? Alhamdulillah, I just returned uh, two days ago from Morocco. Um, it was a wonderful, beautiful experience, uh, wonderful people, lots of history, lots to learn. And Alhamdulillah, I've really, really benefited uh, tremendously for the last 10 days that I spent uh, all over in Morocco. I traveled quite extensively. And uh, inshallah, hopefully uh, sometime in the future, I'll be able to share some of these uh, insights with uh, our listeners, inshallah. Just inshallah. First, first time to Morocco? That was my first trip oh, to Morocco. Okay. I've never been, so but lots to talk about. it was uh, uh, quite uh, an experience. It's uh, like I said, every little street that you walk in has uh, so much history, history okay. and so much, uh, you know, insights and so on. So inshallah, uh, at another occasion, perhaps we can dedicate some time to speak inshallah. about inshallah. that particular trip. We look inshallah. forward to that, Sheikh, and we're going to um, keep Sheikh to it, inshallah. <laughs> but let's get straight to the uh, questions because we have lots of them. Uh, we'll start Assalamu alaikum Sheikh. Why is it that some ulama from Saudi Arabia does not make the dua aloud after the farud salah? Shukran Sheikh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Uh, it is definitely a recommended practice for us to make dua after the salah. This is established by the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu It is a very mubarak time, a very blessed time. There are certain times that are obviously more blessed than others to make dua. Dua should be made any time, but there are certain times that obviously stand out. And one of these times are after the fard salah. In fact, there's a hadith narrated by Abu Umama al-Bahili radiallahu an. He says, the Prophet said to me sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Uh, or rather it was said to the Prophet in my present in my presence uh, he was listening to a conversation between the Prophet and another person and this person asked the Prophet وسلم, O Prophet of Allah which dua is heard the quickest by Allah Ta'ala in other words which dua does Allah respond to the quickest uh, the Prophet ﷺ responded and replied by saying, There are two tremendously important times. One is in the middle of the night, and of course the other one is 
immediately after the Fard Salah. So this hadith makes it very clear, and it's an authentic hadith in the book mm. of Imam Tirmidhi, that we should make dua after the Salah. However, how do we make that Salah? How do we make that dua? Should we make it aloud? Should we make it softly, etc.? This should not be an issue either way. If a person wants to make it aloud, he can make it aloud in Jama'ah with a group saying Amin after him, or if he wants to make it by himself, there's also no issue. I don't think we should get sidetracked on this issue where we forget to make dua in the first place or mm. we don't practice the sunnah. Let's just make the dua, whether you make it aloud, whether you make it soft, there's no issue regardless. We should have respect for, for people all around, whether they make it aloud, whether they make it soft, we should not think that we are better than others. Uh, Dr. Wahab Zuhaili, for example, in his uh, compendium on fiqh, he says, وَيَأْتِي بِالْأَثْكَارِ سِرًّا إِلَّا الْإِمَامَ الْمُرِيدِ تَعْلِيمَ الْحَاضِهِينَ فَيَجْهَرْ uh, he says that uh, the imam should uh, or can make the dua uh, secretly or softly. Uh, the, the askar and the dua, of course, goes together. Or he can make it aloud if he wants to teach the musallis how to make those duas. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how is the musallis ever going to know what are the sunnah duas to be made that the Prophet mm-hmm. made if the imam does not give it aloud after mm-hmm. the salah? So he says if that is the purpose, there's no problem in making it aloud. And as I said, we should not make an issue about this. If you find somebody making it softly, there's no issue in that. If you find it somebody making it aloud, there's also no issue in that. The important thing is the time should not slip us by by not making, making that dua. Yeah. We should make dua after the salah as much as we can and be tolerant towards others if you see somebody coming from a different country have a different uh, particular uh, custom don't look down upon him that is another custom that is also accepted mm. I've just been in Morocco as you said and in Morocco for example I found that people do it the way that we do it here they make a loud salawat they make loud afkar loud dua mm. just like we do it back home <laughs> although not exactly in the same uh, lagu if you like or in the <laughs> same tune but they do they do these things aloud in jama'ah mm. and there's no issue about it at all and so we should one should be tolerant uh, as far as these issues are concerned. Inshallah, I, I think the travels dev- definitely does make you tolerant uh, <laughs> to the people, the other Muslims around the country. Inshallah, may we be patient. And uh, the next one says, Sheikh Assalamu Alaikum Hufa. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, uh, please give a fatwa on a person always looking down on sister, on a sister, never visiting, visited sister, always pointed out bad of sister, etc. Goes on Hajj, not bothered to even ask. Uh, to even greet or make suluh with the sister also not accepting uh, sisters from the different mother uh, but goes on hajj anyway shukran yeah obviously this is something that is not in requirement of a fatwa uh, as to the, the wrong of the person cutting himself off from his sister or degrading his sister. No fatwa is needed to establish this. We know that the Prophet <laughs> had instructed us in so many ahadith to uphold what is called Silatul Rahim. We should try to live in harmony with our family and our blood relations. This is a God given uh, this is a God given obligation which we should never fall fall uh, you know fall short of and uh, he's mentioned here whether it's from the same mother or different mothers it doesn't matter if it's a half sister or full sister if you look at the laws of inheritance for example you'll find that all your siblings can inherit from you whether they are half or whether they are full whether they're from one father different mothers whether from one mother different fathers doesn't matter they can all inherit in certain circumstances from you so um, I think it is wrong from a person to look down on the sister and be demeaning and be condescending and also not go make suluh and not uh, 
go ask ma'af when you go on hajj mm-hmm. i think that is wrong because you you cannot go stand on arafah and plead that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should uh, accept your duas on arafah and all of that but you didn't make right you know what is back home i mm-hmm. mean you didn't sort out your issues this is very important uh, and uh, we we should encourage and i think we've got this beautiful custom where we normally do that we go mm-hmm. and greet people and we ask ma'af for things that we've done and especially if it's family it is even more so required mm-hmm. there's a hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that is authentic where the prophet Muslim. It is enough of an evil for a person to degrade or look down upon his Muslim brother. Hmm. That is enough of an evil that will be destruction to a person. And here the Prophet is not speaking about a brother in terms of blood relations even. The Prophet is speaking about your brother in faith. You know, just an ordinary person is not your blood relations, hmm. but he shares the same faith with you. You should not look down on him. So what still if it is your own what still if it is your own family mm-hmm. you know it's even worse so so one should it's wrong of the sister to not visit or not make sulh and not uh, try to make things right one should take opportunity and one cannot be uh, angry forever one should try to you know make amends with whatever uh, difficulties and and, and 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 misunderstandings they were at the end of the day you want to meet allah ta'ala on the day of judgment mm-hmm. where allah ta'ala is going to be pleased with you as yeah, a human yeah. being and you've tried your best and life is short we don't know what could happen you know mm-hmm. one could uh, leave this world at any moment and you don't want to leave this world having left some of these things uh, untied or uh, you know not settled mm. uh, we make dua that inshallah Allah encourages and inspires this particular person to, to make sulh between him and his siblings inshallah Amen. and inshallah. that uh, their relations are, are repaired and are inshallah improved amongst them inshallah we'll come back um, with regards to a comment on the younger generation who just falls in love and wants to get married and doesn't worry about um, their parents sometimes so we ask that question after the short break so stay with us questions and answers with sheikh ibrahim was Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. Agarashad's fingers is too fast for me. <laughs> I'm still getting the rhythm of things, Agarashad. Welcome back. This is Questions and Answers. Remember, you can um, SMS us on 47913. I'm Khawa Solomon, and of course, answering your questions is Sheikh Ibrahim Was. Note that if you're going to be sending your questions now, inshallah, it does take a week or two for us to, forget to, to get to us, to compile it, inshallah. And we do still have a backlog of quite a few questions of uh, that is uh, sent through to us um, previously uh, in the past week. So we're dealing with them as they come along. So as I said, Sheikh, uh, this next question talks about uh, the younger generation. Salam. Dit is die jong span vandag. Hulle dink net, hulle dink niks te verlief, says the uh, listener. Hulle studeer klaar, dan wil hulle trouw, so vandag se kinders werk nie meer vir hulle ouwers nie. There's not a question, but more comment, Sheikh. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's like, you know, uh, things have changed quite drastically, I think, mm. uh, in the last few decades, where perhaps our parents, you know, they had this... Uh, it's just a normal legacy that they would uh, first work for their parents and make sure that they're okay before they actually marry and, and stuff like that. Now, of course, things have changed, etc. We, we can't compare 30 years to today's life, etc. Mm. However, uh, the point that I would want to raise here is that uh, our parents are very important to us and we should look after them in the best way that we that we can. This mm. is compulsory.
compulsory upon us as children. Whether we have good jobs, whether we're, we, we earn a lot of money, whether we have we climbed the, the ladder, you know, in terms of our social status, we should look after our pa- parents no matter what. Mm. So in terms of, uh, yes, it's not anymore that uh, we're a person who'd uh, give off his pay packet and first <laughs> work for the parent and then get married. Mm. Because life has changed uh, drastically. So we can't, we can't say that, you know, uh, it has to go back to that. But I think the principle in looking after parents is something which Islam lay, uh, lays a very uh, mm. great stress upon. So I, I, there's no rule, of course, in Islam to say that a, a child has to first work for the parent a certain amount of years yeah. before he or she can get married. No, the, 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 the need for getting married may come along quicker than that. Or mm. There may be a, an urgency for them to get married before then. So we can't say that this is a rule that they have to work first for the parents. But mm. what we can say is a rule that whether you have gotten married or not, you should look after your parents, if you, especially if you know your parents are in need. So I, I feel that it's a good point to raise because I think a lot of people today, they perhaps do get married and they do get good jobs and they do have good homes that they live in. And a lot of times they simply just forget about their parents, mm. you know, uh, and I think that is completely wrong. And, and you, you cannot do that. And one should at all times go back and see what we can do for our parents. It's haram for us to to, to neglect our parents, you yeah. know, especially if they are them. in a state of need. You know, we should go without them asking, in fact, we should go to them mm. and make sure that they're okay. We shouldn't wait for them to first tell us we need X, Y, and Z, yeah. but you should go out and say, Mom, what can I do for you? Dad, mm. what can I do for you? Is there anything short? Is there anything I can help you with? Especially, you know the situation. We all know the situation of our parents or the homes that they live in, mm. etc. So you should be proactive as far as that is concerned, and your status and your money should never change you. It should never change you as as a child mm. you should uh, make sure so uh, whilst I, I cannot say that it's an Islamic law or rule to say that you have to work a certain amount of years before you get married mm. for your parents there's no such rule but the rule is continuous that you have to look after your parents to the best of your ability and I do agree that times have changed people don't follow that route anymore mm. they get married they have their own lives but that does not mean that they must cut themselves off from their parents that does not mean that they must you know um, not show the concern and the care and the love for their parents especially if they are in need I think uh, children should really take, uh, you know, um, recognition of this. Mm. That if I want success in my life, if I want Allah to bless me in my family, in my children, in my earnings, in my life, in my job, I will only get that, all of that barakah if I also do that which pleases Allah. Yeah. And part of that which pleases Allah is to look after our parents to the best of our ability. So. Don't think that you are better educated than your parents, so now you don't need to mm. sort of, you know, it's almost like, no, they're, they're in a different world and I'm in a different world, I don't need to. No, even if you're highly educated and they are not, remember, it is through them that you are here. It is through their sacrifices and through they their, do us. Yeah, they yeah, do Allah. us. It is their mm. support that has made you what you are today. Mm. So you can never forsake your parents. One should at all times try to do the best that we can Absolutely. to make sure that our parents are at least getting a bit of our support, especially in their later years when mm. they are more in need of it than before. We should give them that support that is needed in child. And I think also to reiterate, Sheikh, that it doesn't just come from the child because now the child is now married, his partner, wife or husband, that um, in fact that the wife or husband should be encouraging their spouse to be looking after their parent or checking up, you know, does your mother or your father need anything? So it should come from both ways, inshallah. And we ask Allah to give us all the hidayah um, mm. to practice that, inshallah. Yes, that's a, in fact, just if I can just
just add that's a very good point because I think sometimes uh, the the children are perhaps caught in this kind of uh, you know married life yeah. yeah married life difficulty whereby the spouse is not very keen you know or they mm. don't want to really give that kind of support you know and it's a good point that you are making that perhaps you know uh, spouses they should also realize that just as much as they have parents you know your husband and your wife their parents are also important to them so give them that uh, that, that freeway that leeway mm. rather to to look and support after and to look after their parents inshallah shukran sheikh for that advice assalamu alaikum sheikh what do i do if my father is a person of deen but he only uses it to when it suits himself example he has affairs and stuff he's rude to our mom and drives everyone away how do we cope with this uh, sheikh yeah it is uh, it is uh, rather a, a difficulty if a person obviously um, follows the deen only in terms of his own kind of needs and when he needs to or things that suits him mm-hmm. however what you need to realize here is that of course he's your parent he's your father right so you cannot uh, you, you should treat this issue with great sensitivity you as a child mm. you know uh, never try to speak to your father as if you are beyond him or as as if if you are greater learned more learned than him or better than him mm. okay so what you should be doing for him is you should with kindness try to speak to him and try to win him over try to change his ways if possible you know make lots of dua for him for example in secret you know that allah should guide his heart allah should uh, make him a better person and yes what he's doing obviously to your mother and the cheating and all of that is wrong we one cannot condone one cannot say it's okay or halal to do that it's mm. obviously haram but how do you how do you treat him as a child you know do you now just go out and scold at him or do you now just like throw your weight around and stuff like that that is not how we should do it as children mm. you know as mm. children we should always try to be sort of very subservient and very humble in front of our parents yeah. even if they are doing wrong and i'm i'm giving this example of uh, the ayah in the Quran in Surah Luqman where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَصَاحِبَهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفَةً and this is after the Quran says if your parents want you to commit shirk for example they want you to ascribe partners to Allah mm. and you shouldn't follow them you shouldn't obviously do shirk because that is haram but what you should do is you should leave off what they are telling you to do if it's haram but you should still وَصَاحِبَهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفَةً you should still live with them in kindness and in goodness even if they ask you to do shirk Okay, so obviously uh, it shows that this is far less than shirk, but it's uh, something that's sensitive. You must work with hikmah. You must maybe get someone to speak to your dad that he looks up to, somebody that he can be con- that will convince him about the wrongs that he is doing. But you, as a child, remain a child. You know, remain respectful, remain subservient, remain and make make du'a for him. You know, your your du'as may be accepted because it's a sincere du'a that comes from your heart in the middle of the night. That Allah should change the the heart of your father. That mm-hmm. he should be more holistic in terms of his deen and not uh, practice the deen only when it when it suits him. Inshallah. Whims and fancies. When we get back, inshallah, we talk about how one child is dir- dis- disrupting a family bond. More after the short break. Twenty one minutes after six o'clock. So stay with us. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wuss. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back. Um, welcome back to questions and answers. 
And uh, we're pleased to answer your questions, so don't be afraid to still send those SMSs. Unfortunately, we won't deal with it now. Uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Mwes will, um, inshallah, in the next coming weeks, come back with your answers. So SMS lines are open on 47913, uh, as well as our fax, 021-44-77271. Um, we have an email also open, uh, info at vocfm.co.za. And we can also, um, put, if you are listening to us over the lands and across the seas, you can also post it on our Facebook page. We don't mind. There's lots of modes of getting the questions through to us. You can call uh, Zarina Jacobs during office hours as well, 021-442-3500. Okay, so the next question reads, Assalamu alaikum, a voice of the Cape. Our family is divided. How do parents allow one child to disrupt an entire family bond? Sheikh, we are a family and it is so divided. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, this is probably uh, something that happens in all families. I don't think there's any family that is uh, immune from any okay. kind of uh, troubles and uh, misunderstandings and disputes, etc. This is a given fact that one has to sort of uh, understand that, you know, this is our test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm. that we are all human beings that have been created differently and we have our different needs and wants and likes and dislikes. And Allah ta'ala in His infinite wisdom is testing us through all of mm. these things. Um, and uh, there's a the verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Furqan, chapter 25, verse 20, where Allah Ta'ala makes this abundantly clear when He says, وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةٍ We made some of you to be a fitna for others. Mm. We made some of you to be a fitna for others. But then Allah follows it up by asking this question, أَتَصْبِرُونَ Are you going to have patience when this fitna occurs? Mm. So what I'm trying to say here is that while I uh, empathize with this person who is saying that the family is divided and it's one person causing all of this, um, look at it as a test from Allah Ta'ala and we need to deal with it in the proper way, in the way that pleases Allah Ta'ala. Mm. And I think uh, in situations uh, such as these, especially if the parents are also involved, you're alluding that the parents allowing all of this kind yes. of disruptions. Sure. You know, again, like I said earlier on, your parents are your parents. Be sensitive about this issue. Try to do everything with hikmah. You know, don't try to be bristing, don't try to show, or don't try to up, up show your parents, you know, or to do something that's going to cause them further hurt or harm, you know. Do th- something that will uh, try slowly to bring things together and take one step at a time. Many times these things can't be solved overnight. There's many issues, you know, that have built up and you need uh, some time to figure out how you're going to do this. And uh, if you look at the Prophet wasallam and how he lived his life, he had the same challenges that we had, mm-hmm. uh, even more, you know, perhaps his challenges were far greater than ours. It's not only his family, but his whole tribe, you know, the whole tribe of Quraysh, the entire extended uh, um, relations that he had. Mm-hmm. They called him a madman. They called him a sorcerer. They called him all sorts of funny things. You know, they threw him with stones. They, they, they hurt him physically, verbally, all of that. I mean, he went through all of that. But what is amazing about this is he kept on praying for them. He mm. kept on making dua that Allah should change them. He kept on showing them good relations or good akhlaq, you know. And I think it is through all the good akhlaq and the good character that people eventually they realize, but we are wrong, you know. We can't be treating this person like this. Look mm. at how he is responding. Look at how he is treating us in return. So in this case, if there's one person disrupting the family and your parents seem to be, uh, you know, uh, sort of not bothered about it or whatever, you try as a child and your other siblings to work things out with hikmah, try to, you know, whatever you can 
to to do to maybe speak to your parents in a way that is dignified in a way that is uh, honorable in a way that does not upset them further never speak over them never command for them to do certain things never insult them mm. never expect them just to do things overnight also i mean the certain things needs time to be to be worked through and yes it's 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 not as it's easier said than done yeah. i mean i'm telling you to do this but i'm sure you are thinking in your mind i mean you're just saying it but you're not living it mm. you know and i really can understand that that it's not as easy as i'm saying it is mm. but what i'm saying is that this is from allah remember everything comes from allah and it is sometimes these things that make us stronger it is these things that open our minds better well, once things simmer down again then you you thank allah ta'ala allah i at least I, I i came over this you know i was able to handle it and i'm still a good muslim alhamdulillah still have my iman intact i i you know th- those kinds of things eventually you see the hikmah of it but uh, i i guess my my simple you know kind of request from you is to remain a child to your parents and try to do things in an honorable way with hikmah with wisdom and uh, you know strategize do things with, with strategy you know mm-hmm. don't don't do things haphazardly maybe if if you know that your parent is upset with a certain thing don't challenge that thing immediately leave that on the back burner and maybe look at some other things first see what is the most important things that needs to be if there's lots of troubles in your family start with the most important ones you mm-hmm. know you can't solve everything all at one go start with the most important ones and little by little and finally pray pray to Allah you know make lots of dua make lots of salah in the middle of the night these are things that really gives us the strength to continue I mean without these things we we, we won't be able to survive really if we don't have Allah with us if we don't have our duas if mm. we don't have our athkar our tahajjud we won't be able to survive the the challenges that we face but we as Muslims at least we have these mechanisms mm. that can at least allow us to, to handle or to deal with some of these issues, inshallah. Ta'ala. Inshallah, all the best to that family. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If I leave a business in my will, but during my lifetime I proclaimed that um, it is wakaf, but after my death the business becomes a white elephant, can the trustee sell and use the money for sadaqah? Yeah, the initial status of a wakaf is that it is permanent uh, and that one is not allowed to obviously sell a wakaf. The waqaf means an endowment that was made to Allah Ta'ala, a promise basically that was made to Allah Ta'ala that this particular building or this particular venture will be something that is persistent. And of course the waqif, the person who's making the waqaf, he has the right to put stipulations. He can say f- where it must go to, who must be the recipients, who must benefit from it. He's got the right to put those things in place. But your specific question in terms of something becoming redundant after a while, um, yes, I found that there is something in our legacy of fiqh that actually guides us on this issue in the Mawsu'a al-Fiqhiyya al-Kuwaitiyya in the Kuwaiti uh, compendium of fiqh it is stated um, and I just want to read this, this this extract so that we just understand that the, it is an issue that has been dealt with by our fuqaha and our jurists uh, in this Mawsu'a or in this uh, encyclopedia of fiqh it states إِذَا تَعَطَّلَ الْمَوْقُوفُ وَصَارَ بِحَالَةٍ لَا يُنْتَفَعُ بِهَا فقد أجاز الحنفية والمالكية والحنابلة والشافعية في رأي بيعه وجعل ثمنه في مثله uh, and this is a very broad kind of a statement but it has lots of details but just to give an overview of the issue it says here that whenever uh, something that has been made waqaf becomes redundant where it no longer serves the purpose and, s- and it became in a state where benefit is not drawn from it any longer so let's say it's a building that was dedicated to become a madrasa. Mm. 
Hmm. And this is a wakaf, you know, nobody should buy it and sell it, you can't. So what happens is nobody's learning there, the, bo- the, the building is dilapidated, hmm. it's not being used for the purpose that the, the person who made it wakaf in the first place intended it for, etc. So what must you do? Hmm. Here the majority of scholars, Hanafis, Malikis, Hanbalis and the Shafi'is in one particular view of this say that it is possible to replace this building with something else. Okay. Meaning to sell it and to buy another building or to buy something else hmm. which could ser- serve the purpose of the wakaf. So in terms of your issue, if it's a business that you dedicated for wakaf and it becomes a white elephant, then the executors or those people that oversees those kinds of issues, the mutawallis as we call them, mm-hmm. they must obviously then see to perhaps if they are going to sell this building or sell the business to see if they can get something in place of it which can still serve in some way or the other the wakaf that was intended in the first place. And that is what must be done. Okay. Uh, there's uh, certain scholars that go so far to say even the, sometimes what happened is a person make wakaf um, like mats in a masjid or certain mm. things within a masjid like the mats or the carpets or uh, so, uh, something like that. They say if, if that becomes dilapidated, what must you do with it? Is it better to throw it away or is it better to maybe sell it for even a, a small amount and at mm. least get some money back? And buy some other things in place of it, which can serve the purposes of of the wakaf. And scholars have given um, obviously permissibility of this, and given the fatwa that it is permissible to do this, um, as long as we try our best to whatever monies we get back. Now the person is suggesting just to make sadaqah with the money of the wakaf. You know, instead of just making sadaqah of the money, let's first explore and see can another smaller wakaf be be established. Okay. That can serve the purposes of the intention that was behind the wakaf in the first place, and that would be obviously the first, uh, the first, be- the first uh, solution. Mm-hmm. If not, then eventually, if nothing can be found, then I guess yes, the best is then to whatever money you have to give to the to, to the intended um, avenue that the person who made the wakaf. Let's say he made the wakaf and he said the people that must benefit from this wakaf must be students that study the deen of Allah Taala. Mm-hmm. Then make sure the sadaqah that you're going to give goes for the students of the deen of Allah Taala and not to someone else. Because that was the intention of the waqif or the person who made the waqaf in the per- first place. So, in a nutshell, there is permissibility of changing the waqaf uh, if it is dilapidated and to channel the monies that come from that into another waqaf if it is possible or into any other avenue that would best serve the intention of the person who made the waqaf in the first place. Shukran, Sheikh, for detailing that. Assalamu alaikum. My wife keeps on borrowing out my car to her family without consulting me. Uh, this seems to be upsetting uh, this husband much. Is this not haram, Sheikh? I don't know, uh, so I'm asking, and it's causing problems in my marriage. Yeah, alhamdulillah, it's uh, obviously uh, something which uh, happens, I think, uh, in marriages. Sometimes you take things for granted, I think. And we don't really uh, realize that it may have repercussions, especially between husband and wife. We may mm-hmm. take things for granted. But yes, the, the detail of this is that it is, it's not allowed for any spouse to do uh, anything that is in the ownership of the other spouse, of the partner, without his or her permission. That's not allowed. Yeah. Because whatever I own is mine and nobody can dispose of it except if I give permission to do so. Mm -hmm. So in this case, if it's a car and it belongs to me, my wife cannot just, you know, um, nilly-willy take the car and uh, give it out to other people and to family, etc. Unless she consults with me. Yeah. Right. There are certain times where things are are kind of understood between between spouses. 
Mm. Right. Like for example, um, I've got a car. My wife's got a car, but my wife don't mind if I take the car without the permission just to go to the masjid or just to go somewhere, just to drive. She don't mind. Yeah. Okay. But I know she would mind if I borrowed it out mm. to someone else. So obviously, that those things that she don't mind and that you have a common understanding, there's no problem in that. Yeah. But the things that you think may be an issue, it's wrong. You you can't do that. So yes, is it haram? It's haram. You cannot use somebody else's property without their permission. Mm. Okay. So in this case, your wife should be told that what you are doing is not right. And if you look at uh, the, the, the laws of fiqh, for example, they will tell you that what is, uh, like if you borrow something out to someone, okay, so I borrow you a book to read, for example, mm. okay, uh, so what am I giving you? I'm not giving you the book to have, but I'm giving you the opportunity to have some benefit out of the thing that I'm borrowing you. Mm. So you will read the book and you will obviously not pay me anything for it because that's the understanding of what or, or, or something that is borrowed. There's no, there's no uh, exchange of money for it. Because I give it to you without expecting anything mm-hmm. in exchange. But now the question is this. If I give you a book for you to read, which you are obviously borrowing from me, does that give you the right to take that book and to borrow it to someone else? Yeah. Okay, the answer is no. Mm. You're not allowed because the book is not yours in the first place. You don't have that kind of authority over the book to give it to someone else unless you seek the permission of the owner of the book. Mm-hmm. So you can see the fine uh, sort of print uh, or fine d- detail in that, that uh, the fig don't allow you. And this is obviously it makes sense. It's, yeah, it's, it's sensible. Yours, yeah. You know, it's sensible that you cannot, it's logical. You cannot just take someone's property and dispose of it unless you ask their permission. Mm. So here, obviously, the, the, the husband has the right to obviously be upset if his wife keeps on doing it. And mm. you should tell her, look, this is not on and I'm not happy with it. If you want to do it, you should tell me at least and consult with me. And if I'm ready to do it, I'll do it. Mm. If I'm not ready to do it, don't blame me. It's mine. You know, I, I've got the right to decide what should be done with it. And yes, he's saying that it's causing problems in his marriage. It would because the wife obviously is thinking, Ach, why are you crying over something that's so small? Mm. I mean, that is normally the attitude. Why are you crying over something that is so insignificant? You know, the question is, it's not something being significant or insignificant. It's the issue or the principle behind it. Mm. The principle of just taking, how do you like somebody just, how do you like your husband just taking your clothing? For example, it's in your cupboard. And Boring just giving it to your sisters, you know. <laughs> My wife's got a nice blouse that, 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 that I bought at Edgar's, for example, for, for 500 rands, you know. But you wear it, go to the wedding and wear it, she won't mind. Mm. Without asking her. Obviously, that won't be on. She won't accept that. Unless, you know, <laughs> she's really big-hearted, you know. Otherwise, it, it would be an issue. It will be a big issue. So the point here is that uh, the husband has got the right to be upset. And there should be consultation as far as these things are concerned. If we want to prevent uh, any problems from... Uh, obviously cropping up in our marriages so respect others properties even if it is your husband's respect other people's properties assalamu alaikum sheikh my son-in-law embraced islam but refuses to be circumcised what is our next step and how do we go about this shukran yeah i think uh, you should naturally give him some time and explain to him um, the issue of circumcision etc um, because it's not an easy thing for someone that has embraced Islam a male to, to just get circumcised. Mm. It's, a, it's a fear. It's a fearful thing, you know, um, psychologically, mentally. I think uh, it's, 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 it's quite a big uh, task, you know, daunting task upon this person. And uh, what you should try to do is give him time. Don't, don't put pressure on him to say it must be done immediately. Mm-hmm. right? Because uh, there's no law that states it must be done immediately. But the quicker you can get it done, the better. right? The quicker you can do it, the better it is. 
uh, and you you can you know quote to him uh, uh, the hadith of the Prophet sallam that is in Sahih al Bukhari, where the Prophet says on the authority of Abu Hurairah al fitratu khams, and if you put it to him like this, maybe he'll understand. Al fitratu khams, fitra means natural, you know, the natural inclination of doing things concerning your body. Are five things. There are five things that naturally we would want to do to keep ourselves clean and to keep ourselves in a state of dignity. What are those 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 five things? The one that is mentioned, the first one is al khitan, which is circumcision. Al istihdad, which means uh, obviously removing any unwanted hair from from private areas. Wa sharib, and to uh, shorten one's mustache. Wa taqlimul adafir, and also to obviously clip the nails you know these are yeah. things which are like naturally you keep yourself clean by doing these things mm. and the prophet also mm. mentions uh, circumcision along along these things mm. saying it's, it's something that's going to keep you clean it's something that's going to keep you protected etc so um, give this person time don't don't put unnecessary pressure to say it must be done today or next week etc give him some time explain to him that it's all and if you look at the the uh, for example the medical side of things mm. You'll find that scientifically they are telling you today that a man, a male person that is circumcised has got far less chance, chances of sort of illnesses or diseases related to mm. private areas and, and, and stuff like that. For example, they, they mention that a person who is uncircumcised, right, he's, he's got a bigger chance of uh, bacteria or, um, you know, all these uh, what we would call uh, uh, these uh, unnatural kind of things that happens in a person's body, uh, bac- yes, bacteria basically, or viruses, viruses. Viruses, yeah. uh, He's got a bigger chance of viruses affecting him mm. because there's an area that cannot be kept clean adequately, right, which is obviously the foreskin and so on, which cannot be kept clean. Mm. So if it's not kept clean, you've got a bigger chance of, uh, of, of contracting some of these viruses mm. and some of these things. This has been proven medically. That's why they are s- even saying now in terms of HIV and AIDS, for example, that it is best for people to be circumcised. Yeah. Because that also helps reduce the risk. Yeah, know. the government is promoting government it now for free, promoting. actually. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> yeah. So that shows that our deen is a deen of, of, of purity, of, of and, purity so. and natural disposition. That our deen is telling us, you know, this is something that we should do as males. And so, yes, uh, we, we should, your, your, your son-in-law that has embraced Islam, uh, explain to him all of these things, you know. And say to him, today it is done medically. And the way they do it by the doctors is, they do it with, with precision, you know. Mm. There's no, not, uh, there's going to be a little pain, obviously, but they do it with uh, anesthetic and all of those things. It's not like the olden times, I think, when uh, our f- fathers, perhaps, and grandfathers, you know, they've got like horrible stories of how the imam used to do it <laughs> with a big blade and stuff like that, you yeah. know. Uh, alhamdulillah, we, we didn't live in that time. I mean, that yeah. was before our time that these things were, were spoken about. And uh, today it is done within the hospital and so on, and it is very particular and very uh, um, adequate, Controlled, adequately yeah. mm. done, you know. So you d- uh, the fear shouldn't be more than what is necessary, mm. you know. And uh, inshallah, give him encouragement, give him some time, inshallah. don't put pressure. And, and I think this is a point I want to make. Sometimes we like speak to people about Islam and so on, and it seems to be almost like on our minds, the first thing we want to tell a person is, hey, you must get circumcised, otherwise you can't become Muslim. Yeah. And like people like sort of, you know, they retract because this is something that they are fearful about so you don't have to speak about circumcision in your first conversation with somebody that wants yeah. to embrace Islam that's not the first obligation that they has to do you know there's many other obligations that precedes it and that ca- is something that can come in its time mm. that can come in its due time you know there's no uh, uneasiness about it to, to, to delay it a little bit etc so do, so do that and don't stress too much and use hikmah and try to explain to him all these medical things. And you can research it. It's all over the internet. You can find out all the medical benefits, scientific benefits 
about circumcision, inshallah. Inshallah, shukran, Sheikh. All right, um, assalamu alaikum. Sheikh, my elderly mom and sister will be going overseas to my sister who is married to a non-Muslim man and also consumes alcohol. I'm not happy about the situation. Please, can Sheikh give advice about the shukran? Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, of course, I think the, this question uh, ties in with what I've said earlier on. There's two other questions that cropped up in terms of parents, you know, and sometimes they do things that upset us or things that we are not happy about. And in this case, yes, it's wrong. Uh, it's haram for your sister to be married with a non-Muslim man. That marriage is obviously not in void. There's no such marriage. Um, that marriage is not uh, halal, you know, it's not allowed in Islam at all. And cons- consummation of, 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 of alcohol, obviously, we all know that is prohibited in Islam as well. So your mother going there and your sister to go and visit them. And um, Allah alam, I, I don't know, perhaps the detail is that they are going to visit them just to, to for the sake of visiting. Who knows, maybe they are going to visit them. Your mother is going to visit there to maybe try and speak to them and try to make uh, make her see the wrong that she's doing, etc. Mm. Allahu alam, I don't know if that is the detail. But as far as you are concerned, what can you do? Uh, you should obviously, again, as I said earlier on, your parents, your mother, and so on, try with all sensitivity to speak with them in a beautiful way, with honor and dignity. Don't shout at them. Don't be belittle them. Uh, you know, don't speak to your mother in a way that you she she might feel that she's stupid and she doesn't know anything. Speak with her in dignity. And remember the hadith of Rasulullah Not everything is under our control. Sometimes it's th- things that are beyond our control. Mm. Right? This hadith of Abu Sa'id al Khudri, a well-known hadith in Sahih al Bukhari and Sahih Muslim rather, where the Prophet says, "Man ra'a minkum munkaran If a person does something wrong and you see it and you can change it with your hand, then do so, physically. And this is the parent, for example. The parent can change something that the child does physically. Mm. Uh, the, the, the ruler, for example, can, does something phys- can change something physically within a state. But the Prophet says sometimes you can't do that. So the best you do then is with your tongue. Say yes. something verbally, you know. Express your dissatisfaction. So in this case, at least tell your mother, my dear mother, I love you for the sake of Allah, but this is wrong. You know, you can't condone what our sister is doing. If that is what the mother is going to do, you can't condone the haram behavior that she is engaging in. You know, so that's the least. Then the hadith goes on to say, And if you cannot even change something verbally, then at least in your heart you should dislike it. At least in your heart you mm. should feel un- uneasy about it. You know, and the hadith says, and that is obviously the weakest stage of iman if it's just in your heart. But the point is, the hadith points out that you don't always have it under your control. Mm. So in this case, if your mother is going to do this, you don't really have the control to tell her not to go. You know, you can advise her. You can speak to her beautifully. But she's your mother. If Mm. she still feels you've got no say, what can you do? You can make dua, that's all. You can't, like, you know, force her not to go. Mm. That's not in your hands to do. So, um... I think the best is again to to try within your ability to to perhaps uh, you know mm. um, in a wise way try to convince her, and if she still decides to go, make dua that Allah must open her heart. Maybe she's going; she will go there and talk to your sister mm. and give her good advice and nasiha that will be better benef- beneficial to her uh, in the situation that she finds herself in. Inshallah, may she go and uh, with a message of uh, of good. Um, towards Islam, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is nail polish haram? This has come up a few times, Sheikh, so once again it's here. A scholar of Islam mentioned that nowhere in the Quran does it state that nail polish is actually haram. Please clarify, yeah, Sheikh. Let me, let me start with that last uh, comment that says nowhere in the Quran it's stated. Um, I, I kind of have a big problem with with people that want to prove something is halal or haram True. by saying it is not in the Quran. Mm. You know, that is highly problematic. The reason for that is the Quran is not a book of detail. 
The Quran does not have all the details of the Sharia in there. Mm. You know, so if you every time going to say it's not in the Quran, hence it must be okay. Then that is a, a big problem because there's many things that may not be in the Quran, but it's actually haram. Mm. You know, and I give you just one simple example. There's no way in the Quran that states anything about, let's say, the taking of tuk or the taking of drugs. Does that make it halal because it's not in the Quran? You know, it doesn't make it halal, it's still haram. Mm. Because it, it may not be uh, worded in the Quran as being haram, but it's a principle that we can apply that makes it haram in terms of qiyas, what we call qiyas, you know, where you uh, compare one thing to another and you make analogy. Mm. The Quran speaks about khamar, for example. Khamar, which is uh, alcohol or something which is consumed in a, in a liquid form. So if that is the case, then obviously the, the other types of drugs will also be haram because it has the same effect. Yeah. So that's the first point I want to make. We should never say something is not in the Quran and therefore it is it is halal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because many times the sunnah, the hadith of Rasulullah <laughs> which is the second source of legislation, must also be taken into consideration. The hadith mm. of the Prophet is, comp- is complementary to the Quran. You know, the Quran by itself doesn't give you detail, but sometimes the sunnah is needed to give you the detail. The sunnah mm. is needed to understand the Quran. And here, I can give this example. In the Quran, for example, it is stated uh, that you must make salah. In so many places, وَأَقِيمُ salah, Make salah. There is no way in the Quran that Allah Ta'ala tells you how to make salah. Mm. The details of it is not there. Not even the awqat, not even the times, not even the things that make salah haraabatil or that nullifies the salah. Not even the... None of, not even the, the amount of raka'at. I mean, not even, the Quran doesn't even state you must make two raka'at for fajr mm. and four for dhuhr. So again, the issue of saying the Quran only, and this is, I think, it's a phenomenon that was throughout history to be found, and today also it is found, where people say only the Quran and nothing else, etc., etc. No, the, the, the issue is we need the Quran, but we also need the sunnah, the mm. authentic sunnah. Of the Prophet that can guide us in the understanding of, of the Quran. Then there's some other principles which I don't want to go into detail now. I just wanted to clarify that issue that if it states it's not in the Quran, hence it must be halal. That is a flawed concept. Mm. Okay, because there's much there's other sources to be considered as well. Mm. However, in terms of nail polish, yes, what do we mean? It's haram. I mean, do we, do we mean in terms of consumption? We don't consume it, right? So it's got mm. nothing to do with eating or edibility. Of haram and halal. Do you mean in terms of putting it on your nail? And here we will say, look, where, how are you going to wear it? Is it in the in the comfort of your home? Is it for your husband? Is it, it? Because if that is the situation, yes, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong to put on nail polish if it is within that particular environment. Mm. Then there's the other issue. The issue of, and this is what we've been speaking about, I think, in previous shows. The issue that becomes an issue of nail polish is in terms of your hudu that you're going to be taking. Because mm. when the nail polish is on your nails, you won't be able to apply the hudu. Yes. Because it forms a layer over your nail. Mm-hmm. And that obviously doesn't make it haram as such, but it makes it uh, problematic for you to make your hudu adequately. Yes. So it means when you have it on your home, uh, in your home, you're wearing it for your husband to beautify yourself. Mm-hmm. It's nothing wrong. But when salah times comes, what are you going to do? You have to obviously remove it. And you have to remove it completely so that the water actually reaches the nail. No. Okay. So those are some of the uh, details around that. And uh, we've discussed previously also certain nail polish that don't have that issue of uh, being impermeable. Right? There's actually some of them that are permeable where the water can actually go through, etc. Allahu alam. I don't know about it, but we spoke about it in previous times. And what I said was if the water can reach your nail, mm. even though the nail poli- polish is on there, then fine, then it is okay. You can make wudu like that. But if the water does not reach the nail, then of course your wudu will be incomplete and hence your salah will not be correct with a wudu that is incomplete. Okay, so we've got five minutes left, Sheikh. I think just quickly, no. 
three minutes uh, so the last question quickly Sheikh because our Maghrib um, takes place at 6.57 okay Assalamu alaikum can Sheikh please tell me is there anything specific that needs to be recited when bedding after birth no absolutely nothing there's mm-hmm. no specific rituals there's no specific du'as there's nothing specifically to be done in fact no procedure as well okay. all that you do is you take the afterbirth you put it in the ground bury it as far as deep as possible mm-hmm. so that of course animals and other things cannot uh, open it up and eat it and consume it but other than that there's no janaza issues or principles or let's say procedures that you would normally do for a janaza or stuff like that there's no kafan there's no washing there's nothing like that okay. so there's absolutely no procedure there's no specific du'as there's no nothing you just take the afterbirth and bury it as deep as possible in the ground not allowing any animals to come any close to it inshallah ta'ala Shukran so much, Sheikh. Let also story is now 8. Uh, it is 6.54 on the dot, so it is Maghrib. And uh, we say a big shukran to everybody who waited patiently for their answers. We will be doing it in the next few weeks, so please stay tuned. And also catch the show on iono.fm. You can download it and you can listen to all question and answers uh, shows and the answers to all the questions we've had previously. Sheikh. Shukran so much. It was a different show in studio live. So we uh, really, really appreciate uh, Sheikh's time as well to uh, to be able to do that. All the best. Till we speak to Sheikh again next week, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan to you also, Sister Hawa, and to our listeners who tuned into our program. May Allah bless all of you and all of us. And may we be safe until we meet again in one week's Ameen. time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And from myself, Khawa Solomon, the rest of our team on Grashat. And I see uh, <laughs> the other Mr. Traffic is sitting on that side. All the best. Uh, be safe wherever you are. Enjoy the rest of your week. Weekend. Wassalamualaikum and goodbye for now.